that that thing was a turning point in my spiritual life. Um, huh. And I remember just say, saying to my, myself, you know, as, as the bullets kept coming, I, I kept saying, you know, those bullet, not one bullet will hit me unless God allows it, you know, and then who am I to stop? <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, he, he was just in such complete control. Welcome to Ideas Have Consequences, the podcast of the Disciple Nations Alliance, a show where we examine how our mission as Christians is to not only spread the gospel around the world to all the nations, but to also transform the nations to increasingly reflect the truth, goodness, and beauty of God's kingdom. Tragically, the church has largely neglected this second part of her mission, and today, Christians have little influence on their surrounding cultures. Join us on this podcast as we rediscover what it means for each of us to disciple the nations and to create Christ-honoring cultures that reflect the character of the living God. Well, welcome again to another episode of Ideas Have Consequences. This is the podcast of the Disciple Nations Alliance, and my name is Scott Allen. I'm the president of the DNA, and I'm joined here today uh, by my colleagues uh, Sean Carson and Tim Williams, and uh, we are blessed to have uh, as our guest today, uh, Tim and Terry Andrews. Hi, you guys. Good to have you with us. Hey, hey. great to be here. And you're joining all the way from uh, Kenya, I believe. That's right. What a what a blessing that we can be connecting like this. You know, uh, Tim and Terry are essentially, if I, correct me if I'm wrong in the characterization, I would say career missionaries, uh, career missionary relief and development workers. They've worked for many, many years in this field, uh, primarily in, in Africa, um, with World Vision, uh, and uh, also now with a ministry called Root to Fruit, which we would like to hear more of later. Um, but uh, we got to know Tim and Terry uh, uh, several years ago through a mutual friend named Dennis Tongoy, who helped to lead uh, the training of, of the DNA in Africa. And uh, Dennis and Tim and Terry got to know one another through training, and maybe you guys can share a little bit more about that story, but, uh, but that's how we were introduced, and, um, and it's just been such a thrilling thing to know you guys and just to get to know your heart and just the incredible things that God has done through your ministry. And so uh, I would just love to hear um, more from you guys about your life and about your ministry and what it means to do ministry um, missions work in Africa, um, and particularly the kind of the the area that we kind of cross pollinate in, if you will, the the uh, the whole area of worldview, a kind of a biblical worldview based approach to to missions and transformation. But why don't you, Tim and Terry? I'll let you guys decide who wants to start. But um, would lo- I'd love to just hear your background and you know, just kind of where do you come from and. Um, and then if you could also just share a little bit about how you got uh, called. How did you sense calling into this this type of work? I'd love to hear that just as we get started. Okay. I am a Tennessee boy. I'm actually from, from Signal Mountain. It's right right outside of Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. And, and I, we were talking earlier, it's across from Lookout Mountain and very beautiful area. I grew up there for uh, 20 years in the same house and then moved out to California and Went to UC Berkeley where I was an English major, and and then later I, I got a um, an MBA at San Francisco State, and and then I started working with Deloitte, um, uh, an accounting and 
consultancy firm there in San Francisco. And, um, and then uh, I ended up, um, well, let me, uh, so I'll tell you how I had the call to, to uh, missions. And then I'll let Terry tell up to the point where we met, because we met out in California. Um, but when I was working at Deloitte, um, I, my, my, <laughs> I think my call to missions was more um, when I had progressed to the point after uh, four years of um, this sort of upper out uh, culture where there were 45 of us that were all hired at the same time. Mm. And every year you had to be promoted or you had to leave. And after four years, there were about three or four of us left. Mm. And a, a partner was assigned to me to explain how the partner track works. And it was during that meeting that I got, I just felt physically ill at the thought of a career uh, in San Francisco in a, an accounting consulting firm. And it didn't feel at all aligned with my sense of uh, wanting to follow Jesus and serve other people and show the love of God to to, to people. And this is all pre, uh, pre-internet. I had no way of uh, searching, you know, where are these mission opportunities? But I just knew that it was, it was time for a transition. Hmm. So I, I looked for, uh, uh, a mission course, and I, you, you're probably familiar with the Ralph Winters perspective courses. Absolutely, um, yes, it was yeah. life changing for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for us too. So yeah. I I found one of those in in Oakland, and and ended up going over there on on the weekends, and that's where I met Terry. No kidding, <laughs> at a perspectives course. <laughs> Oh, yes. that's so interesting. <laughs> hey, I, I actually, I would love to just follow up just a little bit, Terry, before if we let you in just with sure. Tim, I because I, this is a part of your story I hadn't heard before. Um, so that's a big jump all the way from Tennessee to Berkeley, what, yeah. <laughs> California. What, what, when was this, Tim? Was this in the, I don't mean to kind of peg you on your age or anything like that, but were we talking about the seventies? Was where, where was this yeah, in relationship so it, to all the action happening in Berkeley? Uh, it was. It, I think it was about 79, okay. 78, Actually, okay. when I, I went out, and and so Berkeley had gone through a, a swing of kind of extremely radical, and it was swinging back to almost conservative kind of business sort of no um, kidding i hadn't heard that okay yeah, yeah. but it was it was a, it was swinging the pendulum so it was kind of a balance okay, you know of, of the okay. radical and, and and the more conservative i see yeah. i see and where, where did you grow up in a christian household tim or tell us a little bit about your faith journey yeah 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 so um my my parents were um probably almost the initial founders in the Chattanooga area of the charismatic movement. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, wow. and my dad was in charge of the full gospel businessmen uh, oh. that, that was very popular in those days. And he would have uh, speakers from all over the United States that he would, he would bring in. And, and the, uh, and that, that particular movement at that time meant that we would move from church to church because there was a sort of a, 
an, an awakening, maybe a Holy Spirit awakening happening in, in various churches. So I actually grew up in a lot of different churches, hmm. um, but it was part of the kind of the charismatic movement of, of that time. But um, my dad was and my mom, they were both incredible role models hmm. of what it looked like to be followers of Jesus. And, and my dad in particular um, was always reaching out to, to needy people and hmm. kids that had been maybe kicked out of the, their homes or drug addicts. And we always had someone in our home. Wow. So huh. uh, other than his five children. Um, and, and so there was, I just had a, a, a sense of being able to show God's love to others was a was sort of stamped on my life from from early childhood mm, and mm. and I and and, and I became um, through my actually my dad led me to the Lord uh, mm. through story bedtime stories when I was a, a child and mm. um, and I never I never deviated from that. Mm. Wow, wow, that's beautiful. Well, Terry, yeah, tell us your your journey up to the point that you, know, you guys' path intersected in that perspectives class in Oakland. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I was not born into a Christian household, although it was a good household. But um, born actually in Germany on a military base, and huh. Um, huh. lived in uh, Massachusetts for a while, and with my family, and uh, back and forth to Germany and Austria a little bit because my father was a university professor interested in medieval history. So wow. went into the Austrian school system, speak German, you know, but huh. so lots of cultural back and forth. Yeah. But um, hmm. at age 11, we moved from Massachusetts down to the South. And so in Massachusetts, not so many people went to church, or at least that was my parents' perspective. Yeah, pretty secular, <laughs> um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um, but down in, in Virginia, everybody went to church. <laughs> and um, so... <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, two things happened. I think, I think when yeah, it was around eleven years old. I'm not sure if we'd started the church thing yet, but I do remember my sixth grade teacher showing a video of the Peace Corps <clears throat> and basically some, uh, yeah, some Peace Corps workers working with African mothers to kind of reestablish breastfeeding as more important than formula because Nestle's mm-hmm. had been coming in with formula. The, mm-hmm. the mothers thought that was life-saving thing for their kids they would dilute it to save money and their kids would end up starving Mm. and i I just remember watching them basically reteach breastfeeding which is what african mothers do anyway and i remember just thinking at age 11 it's like i don't know if i can you know i i don't know if i can do a lot or help a lot but i think i might be able to really help you know in Uh, africa uh, that was just my childlike thinking but i I never forgot that you know and i always just felt a draw uh, to africa and so, um, yeah, in, in high school, and it's, you know, without getting into too much detail, um, well, I ha- had a great uncle that we would visit in Virginia, and he was a believer, and he would share little stories and bring us to church, and I got so interested. Hmm. And finally, you know, but still no background really in Christ or Christianity, and I just thought, whatever it takes, I'm going to become a Christian. You know, I thought maybe it takes mm-hmm. 20, 30, 40, 50 years. <laughs> huh. um, but finally, in um, I think my junior year of high school, a um, so he was called a Jesus freak, but he transferred into our high school 
And I remember just approaching him and saying, how do you become a Christian? <laughs> wow. And, um, wow. So he, he just, he went, you know, rather dryly through the four spiritual laws, you know, honestly, that didn't speak to me a whole lot initially. It's like, okay, you know, so I'm a sinner and I asked Jesus, why is Jesus so important? You know, um, but, um, what, what happened after that was I made a commitment to read the Bible and God actually just spoke through the Bible to me. And I, maybe that's why I love the truth of the word, you know, and, and I feel like it applies to every aspect of life. But um, just one day, the verse from, um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, He made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of Christ. Um, that just suddenly clicked. It's like, oh, okay, that's what Jesus did, you know. Mm. And, um, and yeah, and, and so I had, you know, some pretty good fellowship in high school. Um, it was a bit of a shallow rebirth still. And without going into detail, unless you're interested, I, I had a lot of ups and downs in um in college and in my mid twenties. And I, I even went to a point of just not choosing not to believe in God. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it was uh, due to some things that happened, mostly a, a, a couple that had mentored me uh, just fell away from Christ completely and engaged oh, in some horrible really tough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, but maybe it was, you know, God uses all these things. And mm -hmm. so I just started from the beginning, like, and by that time I was in medical school because uh, I had, I still wanted to go to Africa, no matter what, <laughs> and um, so, um, and wanted to be a doctor in Africa, and so I remember just gathering fellow students, and we studied a book called um, More Than a Carpenter. I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember that. Josh McDowell. That, uh, yes, okay, you got it, <laughs> and um, yeah, I just, uh, I, I remember just sitting with them and I was saying, I don't know if it's true. You know, I don't know if he is the son of God. You know, I don't know all these things, but let's just figure it out together. And it was through that, um, that I just became deeply convicted that Jesus was the son of God, you know, and that he rose from the dead and that, you know, the Holy Spirit empowered boldness in those disciples. And um, yeah, and, and that was a turning point for me. And my life wasn't perfect, <laughs> even mm. for some years to come, but mm. God is so merciful. Mm. And, mm. Uh, and maybe the last thing I'll say before meeting Tim is um I um I think the thing that really drew me back to him fully in the end was uh in my fourth year of medical school I did an internship in the country of Nepal hmm. which at that time um, Christians were under serious persecution in fact it was forbidden to convert and um and it was a jailable offense and it was a jailable offense to actually speak to you know be responsible for someone's conversion um and I remember just seeing these former Hindus uh, that had lost everything because they're when, by coming to Christ, their family rejected them, their friends rejected them, all their inheritance was gone. Uh, but the joy in their eyes, it's like you couldn't deny it. You know, there was so huh, much joy. Wow. And mm. there was just, it's, it's a funny way to be drawn back, but I, there was just something about their joy and God's love that mm. sort of pleaded the circle for me. And um yeah, I think that was in my late twenties, and uh, yeah, I, I never, I never went back after that. And were you, so, were you still in well, Europe, Terry, at that time, or where were you now? Are you? Uh, no, we, we were in. I, I went to medical college. I went to medical college in Virginia. Okay, so okay, Virginia. I, yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Nepal, you know, just for that mission trip for three months. But yeah, yeah, the, the Europe time was, you know, as a as a baby, and mm. then at age seven to eight, and then in my teens, I did several um, 
trips and just worked in restaurants and hiked around, <laughs> mm. that kind of thing. Mm. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, fi finally, I, I wanted to do medical residency in ca California or the West because there you still got sort of really hands-on training um, mm. family in family practice, and uh, which is what I wanted to pursue. Family practitioners on the East Coast are just more gatekeepers. And so, um, and I kind of wanted to get out of the conservative culture of the, I, I'm not there now, my head isn't there now, but at the time, I just, mm. the East Coast felt too conservative. And so, mm. which is a little bit what Tim was doing too, is like, <laughs> let's get out of this east <laughs> mm -hmm, and head west mm -hmm. but we didn't know each other um and it was only after meeting in this missions class that we realized you know for two years we'd been living just a block away or a few blocks away mm -hmm. uh, in berkeley and uh, i think the final thing i just want to say is how moving that missions class was to me and uh, ralph winter in particular and his um his passion for the muslims was so infectious mm -hmm. and um uh, yeah, and the last thing I'll say is that uh, in Berkeley, I was meeting a number of Muslims, and um, I was just so overwhelmed by their spirituality, you know, mm. and their strong interest in God and prayer. And there's a part of me is thinking, you guys are more interested in pursuing God than a lot of Christians I know, you know. Mm. And so Ralph Winter was kind of, um, yeah, he just brought it all together for me. And I believe that was a big part of my own call, too, to, to work with Muslims. So, yeah. Did Ralph Winter teach the class? Was he the facilitator? He he's I don't know if he taught the whole class, but he definitely was there for some of those sessions. Oh, uh, wow. And definitely the part of the Muslims. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, for our listeners who aren't familiar with Ralph Winter, how would you describe him? He he set up the US yeah. Center for World Missions in Pasadena, which yeah. for many years was really kind of the uh, the headquarters of evangelical missions in the United States. I don't know what, what to say about it, but he was really a founding father in some ways of American evangelical missions, you know. I mean, it, for our generation, you know. Um, I'm not, you know, he's passed away, but uh, he had, you know, a huge influence on so many of us. So that's really uh, wonderful that you guys got to spend time with him like that. Yeah. What what for both of you guys before we go from the class? I'm just curious, just kind of briefly, what what um, what were some of those ahas or takeaways from that time in that class? Yeah, um, I think um, you know it's it's hard to verbalize because to me there was just a great sense of excitement about missions, but. Mm. Um, I think, I think one of the things that Ralph Winter conveyed to me was um, he first of all affirmed my own sense of how spiritual Muslims are and how much they are seeking and how much um, they're really seeking the one true God. You know, they're mm -hmm. not necessarily, you know, they've been taught perhaps to be against Christians and the infidels, but in their heart, you know, there's there's a, a purity of seeking God and. And I think there's another thing he imparted to me um, that is sort of similar, um, especially when we, you know, once we ended up in in Guinea, which is, you know, too much of a fast forward right now, which was 96% Muslim, um, is that, you know, I, we can view Muslims as hard and impossible to reach, you know, and build a wall of th in our mm -hmm. thinking and mindset, you know, when it comes to worldview, really. 
that will make it impossible to reach. But really, um, they're just people like we are. They're just lost like we are, and um, or we were. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and just hmm. take down that name Muslim because it, it makes a um, it makes a dividing wall. Now he he had a lot of also approaches to Islam, and I also you know understood what some through him understood what some of the differences are between Christians and Muslims in their view of the Father and their view of the deity of Jesus. Um, but um, I think the biggest thing uh, was probably more. Not, I'm just think, realizing it now. Sort of the world worldview towards Muslims or my mindset towards Muslims, you know, needed to change if I was really going to reach them, and uh, that they're just um, just people just like us. Hmm. So, hmm. yeah. So, Scott, I'm amazed at what she can remember from over 30 years ago. <laughs> but the, the only aha moment I remember is the cute medical doctor sitting on the other side uh, of the room. Okay. <laughs> it was life-changing. <laughs> definite life-changing moment. Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, go, go on from there, guys. How long was it until you, you know, you— I said, you know, we're married, and then you got into full-time kind of Christian ministry and missions work. Well, so right, right in that time frame when, when we were in that that um, perspectives course, mm -hmm. um, that that was when I was having, and I won't go into it, but I was having a series of uh, um, recruiters calling me when I was in Deloitte. Uh, trying to recruit me into other organizations as, uh, you know, into CFO positions, some kind of finance um, director kinds of roles. And, 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 and I was literally, I was getting sick. I mm. literally, I felt like I was going to throw up every time they would call. Wow. Um, and, it, and that was, for me, that was the Holy Spirit saying, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's time time to move. I even had one recruiter that kept talking to me and I said, I have to hang up or I am going to vomit. And I <laughs> hung up the phone. Huh. And, and during that time, I got um, connected to World Vision through my, my brother, <clears throat> who uh, happened to be a supporter of theirs and, and followed the ministry and, and, um, and they're out there in, in the LA area, Monrovia. Um, but I was up in San Francisco, so it was kind of easy for me to to connect there uh, with them. And and I I had a so I started an interview process. It was happening at the same time uh, as the perspectives course, and at the same time I was getting to know Terry. Hmm. And and then um, I ended up getting uh, a job with with World Vision that took me to Mozambique. And, and I think I was, I think I was there about a year before yeah. we actually got married. So we mm -hmm. were, you know, snail mail uh, letters back and forth mm -hmm. with weeks and weeks of delay in between. Um, and, and then, um, and then we, um, well, I was back for a short, short period of time. And um, we kind of figured out if we're going to get married, we, we had to do it real fast. So in between the time that I proposed and we got married because by, Oh, you know, she came down to visit me. And while she was down there, she got offered a job to run the medical program in Mozambique. In Mozambique. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And so then we were back home and we realized if we're going to get married, we either have to do it really fast because we have to go back to Mozambique or we have to have all our family come to Mozambique, which it was, in a, it was a war zone. <laughs> mm-hmm. So from between the time I proposed and we got married, was that three weeks? Yes. It was three weeks. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of got the attention of parents and uh, and <laughs> friends and, and all kinds of uh, consequences uh, from, from that. But, um, but it was fantastic. Every one mm. of those days of those three weeks leading up to that, everything just fell into place mm. uh, like clockwork. Uh, Terry went in and, and even had to rent a wedding gown and because there wasn't time to <laughs> do anything else. Mm. <laughs> but the wedding gown that she found Fit, fit her imagination of what she would want a dress to look like mm-hmm. when she got married. And it was just right there. They put it on her and it fit her perfectly. Yes. Mm-hmm. It fit her absolutely perfectly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. So God just put all the yeah. little little mm-hmm. pieces together mm-hmm. and and then we were we're off to Mozambique. And Gosh. I think maybe what I could, could do is just kind of give you a I mean, our stories could go on really long. So yeah. I just, <laughs> just kind of yeah. squeeze down um, the the journey through Africa over most of the last 30 years. And and you can kind of, our first 10 years of, of Africa were war zones. Mm-hmm. And, and out of the war zone experience, there was a, a, a ministry, Children in Christ, got birthed uh, through Terry as a, mm-hmm. as a result. Uh, of those experiences, and and that's a whole story in a, of itself, which I'll, I'll let her tell in just a minute. Uh, and then the last uh, twenty years were more of a in a development context, and and that's where the biblically empowered worldview understanding uh, came to me in the midst of of, of just really difficult development um, work, and I could tell you tell you a story about that um and, and so so we've lived together for a long time but our <laughs> the trajectory of our ministry has actually been quite different um but all in in sub-saharan africa so so, guys, so we were oh. so go ahead well it's just you guys have really been in africa since you were married then more or we, less. we were except after 10 years or about it was about three and a half four years we were back in the states for a, a short period of time okay. but most of that in in africa mm-hmm. uh starting in 1989 that's mm-hmm. when i i first came and and went to uh, mozambique and so civil war there uh lots of suffering um yeah and i'll let t- t- and it's part of terry's story she can come back to that from there we went over to to zaire and Zaire, uh, Zaire at the time, at DRC, Democratic Republic of Congo now, uh, it was in an ethnic conflict situation. Uh, and, and from there, we went to Sierra Leone. And we were in, in Sierra Leone in, during the Blood Diamonds uh, Civil War wow. there. So yeah. it, was, it, was, it was 10 years of, of really in, intense uh, war zones where through World Vision, we were delivering emergency food relief, mm. emergency medical assistance, uh, emergency nutrition for under under five uh, children that needed therapeutic feeding. And 
and and so they were they were really it was difficult i mean in, in sierra leone we we even got there, there was a, a coup in, hmm. and during the coup we got caught in in crossfire yeah. um uh, the the rebels joined the the uh the military um part of the coup was they'd been fighting these rebels but part of the coup uh, agreement was that the rebels would join the the soldiers and throw out the president. So, mm-hmm. so they there was just pandemonium, chaos, mm-hmm. shooting all through the streets, looting um, consecutive houses around, coming down to us. Miraculous wow. delivery. The, the Lord just de- delivered us from the jaws of the lion there. But lot, and, and we ended up having to. Um, I had. To, I had to organize my all the international uh, staff that were there <clears throat> and their children. It was about 35 to mm. 40 people. Mm. We had a helicopter come in, land on a tennis court, and and, and evacuate us to Conakry, mm. Guinea. Oh, my gosh. Um, wow. So those were <clears throat> 10, 10 mm. years. Um, and then after that, we were short period in the U.S. Work, and I was working with World Vision U.S. And then back in Kenya— um, and uh, from Kenya over to Tanzania. And when I was in Kenya, I actually had responsibility for all of the countries in, in Africa uh, under, under World Vision. And it was during that time where we were in that development context is, is where I just had my personal sort of existential crisis that mm-hmm. the unintended consequences of much of what we do Mm. is actually hurting it, it it's increasing dependencies mm. and and so i and i can tell that story yeah but, i i do want to put a pin on that tim because um and it, i kind of maybe terry could catch us up to that point maybe we could use that as a point of kind of jumping off because um the, you know this existential crisis that you're talking about but just uh, just for our listeners, I think most people are familiar with World Vision, but it's probably the largest. Is it the largest Christian relief and development organization yes. in the world, isn't it? By by far. Yeah, yeah. by far. So um, so you and you guys have worked for many years, or you worked for many years then, and and in various positions. Were you mostly in country director level positions, or just just a variety of yeah. positions? Yeah, I, I was uh, in, mostly in country director roles, and then I was the chief operating officer for uh, the 26 countries in in Africa for a, a period of time. So you were really um, but, high up in management then for the for the continent of Africa. That's impressive, Tim. Yeah, because that's that's just I have a sense of the scope of that. It's math. That's a big that's a big scope, big budget, lots of people. So very complex too, given right. all that's going on in right. Africa. Yeah. Yeah, pro- probably about twenty thousand at that time, around twenty thousand staff, um, and probably around a billion dollars worth of annual funding. Wow! So something, something like that. And then, too, but, just yeah, you talked about relief and development, and I think that's also good to just kind of clarify relief when we talk about that. You know, we're talking about you know just a response in an emergency situation. So, like you were saying, so many war zones and so much conflict, and a lot of refugees and 
people literally starving, you know, and just needed very basic food and clothing and shelter. And so relief is the response to that. And you did a lot of that work, it sounds like. But then when you're into Kenya, now it's a little bit different. It's not a crisis situation, but people are still living in very impoverished conditions, high infant mortality rates or malnourishment Mm -hmm. and things like that. So how do we help improve the the, the living of, you know, the basic kind of living of these people? That's more of the development side of things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where my my story will (laughs) pick up from there. Um, But I thought Terry could... could, um, talk about what came out of the those war years mm. is that okay or yeah okay yeah so um just picking up on the mozambique time um my job was mostly just to deal with um severely malnourished children that had been isolated by the war basically the rebels would put landmines around villages so that nobody could farm their farms and they Gosh. would just slowly starve to death and i i still remember the first time landing in the first village mulavali and i just saw you know very thin women with thin children on their backs just picking leaves off bushes you know trying to eat something and um and I, I remember, you know, our first job was to do a nutrition survey, you know, a height for weight survey and, uh, you know, walking from house to house with this little handheld scale and just weighing really skeletons of children. You know, it was, you know, I remember pictures of the Ethiopian famine and, and this, you know, this was it all over again. And I, I just remember, you know, weighing some children, you know, going throughout to the other end of the village and on returning, you know, some of those children would have already died. You know, oh. there were just so many of them at death's door. I, I it just, was a very I am, numbing. Yeah, I am stunned yeah. by the, you guys jumped, I mean, to, Mozambique even today is a real difficult country to live in. It's one of the poorest countries in Africa. You know, you guys were there at a time yeah. when it was in crisis because of famine and war right out of the United States, newly married. I'm like, how in the world did you guys manage that? <laughs> that must have been an incredible transition. I, yeah. Anyways, I'm just... I wouldn't like, recommend anything yeah. you do for newly <laughs> Not getting married in three weeks and not jumping into Mozambique. But, yeah. but I know it was God's path for us, you know, and the, mm. the one nice thing, you know, the, there was a lot of trauma, but we really, we had a strong friendship before we were married. So, I, you know, I think... Hmm we really support each other. And um, yeah, and as it turned out, because we were both in leadership positions, you know, a lot of times we could fly together to different parts of Mozambique. And it was, it was actually a lot of togetherness, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but under stressful, you know, rather stressful circumstances. But, um, you know, we could debrief together and learn together. Yeah. And it was, yeah. But yeah, it's not what I would recommend, but I, I really think it keeps your attention off of petty differences. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. No, when you're, yeah, no, it's, and I don't mean to make light of it. I mean, you're dealing like, there's just heartbreaking things that you're talking about. about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, the, um, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I, it was a little bit numbing and also, um, yeah, world, you know, my, my um, medical education didn't really prepare me for that. So mm-hmm. it, it was it was a challenging, uh, difficult time. But we also, um, I mean, there were some really cool things because, uh, you know, my faith was just grow, growing stronger. And we had found, although Mozambique at that time was a fairly communist country, um, we found uh, Mozambican Christians. And um, 
our work was funded by USAID and we were given the mandate not to share our faith, but mm -hmm. in our own mind, and we thought, okay, well, our workday is from nine to five. So, you know, before nine and after five, our work is done. We can do what we want. <laughs> <laughs> and of you. course, you know, it's almost 24 hour, you know, 24 seven work, you know, for, for the emergency stuff. So um, we found ways to kind of share, you know, share Christ and tell Bible stories in li lines or in the feeding centers or hold little churches in some of the villages. And, and it, it was a really, we really felt God's presence and felt mm. him directing us. And it was just, um, you know, that was the light, you know, the, the, the good, bright mm. and encouraging side of all that work. And, um, but I think we, I, I joined later than Tim. So probably, I think it was just from 91 to 93. I, I worked there 91 to 94 in 1993. Um, a peace accord was signed, and uh, the peace actually held, which, you know, is not to be taken for granted. And um, our work shifted to, you know, from feeding centers to vaccinations, et cetera. But the other um, thing that happened is because Tim and I were on the relief branch, um, we were no longer really needed in Mozambique. And so we were to turn everything over back to the government, and they had already found a posting for us in Zaire. But I, I I think what changed my life actually was turning things back over to the government. The government still was had a heavy communist influence, which to me um, is <laughs> expressed by apathy. I just felt such apathy from the nurses and the doctors and these kids that we'd been playing with and singing with, you know, now they were standing in line and um, all the nurse cared about was a bribe. You know, I could just see them holding out the mm. hand of it. If the mother or child didn't have the money, they were turned away, and you know, no, no attempt um, to build them up in any way. And and actually, there are horrible things that happen in clinics and hospitals uh, by nurses at the hands of nurses that do not care. Wow. And I was really kind of heartbroken. It was sort of a a real downer actually as we departed Mozambique. And I, I just remember being on the plane uh, to Zaire and thinking, man, you know. I, I've been working on kind of the, the outside of the body, you know, it's mm, like I'm mm. making sure they don't starve, you know, yes. taking care of infections and that kind of thing. But it's meaningless if the inside isn't changed. And, um, huh. you know, and, and I think that was maybe the beginning of God speaking to me about two things. I, I, I knew somehow rather than fixing the outside of the kids, he wanted me to do something on the inside. Side. Mm -hmm. And without knowing the term worldview, yes. you know, I knew that something had to change there. You know, the worldview of our nurses and the worldview of the government nurses were like night and day. Yes. And so, um, yeah, just sort of. Yeah. What what causes now. that? What causes people to have concern for other people? You know, what is it? Is it is it inherent into human nature, or is it a set of ideas, <laughs> a set of beliefs that they get worked right. out? Yeah, I can see you asking those questions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a big question. Yeah. And um, I still, you know, I, I'm not necessarily the deep strategic thinker, but I, what I am absolutely convinced of is that, you know, communism and atheism just dulls your mind towards mm. caring, you know, because mm. there, there's no, um, yeah, there's no reason to care, you know, and there's no reason to even try, you know. Mm. I, I'm um, reading a book either. right now, Terry, that um, is, is a, it's a, just really quick, you know, it's a story of a, yeah. A refugee from North Korea who's the age of my daughter, which is part of what makes it gripping for me. My daughter's in her late 20s, mm -hmm. one of my daughters. And um, 
So she talks about growing up in North Korea, and um, it's probably the, on the far end of the extreme of a kind of a Marxist, Stalinist, totalitarian kind of situation. And what she's saying is exactly what you're saying. Just, uh, just so there's so much inhumanity. It's just incredible. It's, it's mind blowing to me. I'm like, how in the world does a place like this even exist in the world today? So, anyways, I just had a little flavor. Yeah, how are humans capable of this? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I'd yeah. love at some point to hear the title of that book. It sounds really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'll, I'll maybe I'll speed up on the Zaire and Sierra Leone part, which Tim already talked about. We mm. we. God blessed us with a son towards the end of Mozambique, and mm. he was with us in Zaire, and then uh, Sierra Leone. And I, I was feeling a call uh, to children ministry, but not necessarily acting on it in Sierra Leone. I, I actually was getting distracted with other things. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know that I need to go there right now. But um, all I can say is that coup um, was a huge wake up call to me, and. Um, mm-hmm. I just um, I went I went from being scared to death as we were watching you know outside our kitchen window rebels firing into houses and um, how old is your son at this point, Terry? He was three years old. Oh my gosh! Um, Yeah, that must have been horrifying. I can't imagine being a mom with a three-year-old in that situation. No, it was really yeah. Yeah. Um, Freetown was a considered a family posting. They never expected, you know, the, the ring of protection around Freetown to be broken. So it was a surprise to everybody. But mm. uh, yeah, it, it was really hard. And I know a lot of our, you know, ta- work, if you want to say our role, you know, was to try to tell Joseph that it was fireworks and stay as calm as possible. But um, I, I was, I, I won't t- tell the whole story, but I was extremely scared and shaking. Mm. And um but something really did happen. A missionary called and reminded us to read Psalm 91. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one, but it's uh, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most mm. High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. It's the one that says a thousand will fall at one side, 10,000 at the other, but it won't come oh, wow. near you. Mm. He will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your steps, mm. um, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And, mm. you know, I, when she told us to read it at the time, I thought, you know, what good is that going to do <laughs> when there's bullets flying through our window, you know? But mm. um, I, something happened. You know, Tim and I just read it, I think, three times. And mm. we we really felt God's presence. Mm. Uh, it was just surrounded by us. You know, it was thick like a blanket is mm. all I can say. And wow. suddenly, um, it just didn't matter. It didn't matter if we lived or died, you know, because... Mm. Wow. Jesus was there with us. That's all I can say. And um, I, that that thing was a turning point in my spiritual life. Um, uh-huh. And I remember just say, saying to my, myself, you know, as, as the bullets kept coming, I, I kept saying, you know, those bullets, not one bullet will hit me unless God allows it, you know, and then who am I to stop? <laughs> you know, it's sort of mm-hmm. like, he, he was just in such complete control. Mm-hmm. And um, wow. the what fast forward there is actually God sent, sent a Muslim man of, <laughs> to to our home who was friends with some of the military. And when he saw our situation, we had been good friends for for a year or so. Um, He brought some soldiers that were friends of his to protect us. And that's one of the reasons that we were never, we had very close call, but there was a shootout in our yard and um, our soldiers won. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. But, but it was life changing for me. You know, God was suddenly real at a whole new level. And, and, um, we were evacuated then to Guinea Conakry. Uh, that was just 
the closest place that was still somewhat safe. And, um, and that's where World Vision wanted to set up operations for Sierra Leone. All NGOs were had left. It's one of the few times that I think 100% yeah. of um, yeah. of NGOs have left the country. You know, there were a few Catholics and a few renegade NGO members that stayed, but as a whole, uh, they were out. And so, Tim was running the operations from uh, Sierra Leone, and I was there in Guinea, kind of like recuperating from shock and being with yeah, Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I just, you know. My worldview journey really began in G Guinea, so I hope I'm not jumping the gun on that. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I started um, walking around Conakry, Guinea, which was very Muslim. You know, we were actually on the same block as the largest mosque in the nation. And so there was, you know, huge calls to prayer, um, lots of people in their robes and hats and um lots of prayer, you know, every, you know, five times a day, the prayer. And um, I remember walking around and just looking at the kids, you know, and thinking not one of them is going to get a chance, you know, to hear about God's love or, or Christ, you know, at all. <laughs> There's nobody yeah. to tell them. And, um, and that's where the Ralph Winter thing came back, you know, because yeah. I was asking the Lord, you know, how am I going to, how can I possibly reach these kids? They're so Muslim. <laughs> yeah. And the Lord reminded me, you know, don't call them Muslim because they were they're lost, you know, just like you were lost, and they're people just like you were people. And so, mm -hmm. out of that, um, I um, made well, whether out of that or not, anyway, I made friends with our neighbor who was a, a man, Mr. Bangura, who was politically fairly well connected in that part of Conakry, and he started coming over for tea, and um, we would talk about I would talk about Christianity, and he would talk about islam you know mostly from the perspective of just understanding each other and he was very fascinated with christianity etc um and then I, I i he had so many children in his yard just running around and i one day i just got the idea i said you know joseph my son joseph was four by then and there's no place for him to go to sunday school you know or learn about god with others you know i'd like to teach him and with some of your kids, Mr. Bangor, like to come and join. You know I'm Christian, but you know I could teach from Genesis, and um, you know that's accept if that's acceptable to you. Let's let's give it a try. And he was very pleased with the idea. No kidding. <laughs> and huh. so um, yeah, yeah, it was it it, it was fascinating. The, um, and so I, I gathered. You know, they speak mostly Susu language, which I knew nothing about. But I and there weren't. Guinean Susus that were Christians, but there were a number of refugees, you know, from Sierra Leone and from Liberia um, that were Christian and still spoke Susu and English and French. So I gathered a few of those and it, it took us a couple of weeks, but we put together a lesson, you know, from Genesis and we bought, you know, a bench or two for the kids to sit on and a chalkboard, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and um, we, we, invited him then for, it was a Sunday evening in October, 1997. I'll never forget it. Um, and I just remember opening the gate at five and uh, seeing, you know, these line of little children all dressed in their Sunday best, you know, cause they were visiting. And, um, you know, the 10 we were counting on came and then another 10 and then another 10 until finally there were like 60 kids just filing into our little wow. driveway. We didn't have a yard, you know, we had a gravel patch that could fit a car, which we didn't have a car at the time, and, and that was it. And so 
you were running around trying to get blankets and hmm. things for them to sit on. And I asked um, Mr. Bangura, you know, I said, I, you know, I, I had meant that you just bring your own children, you know, I, 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 I'm surprised. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, um, and this is how I can tell you, God can use us even in our ignorance because it didn't occur to mm. me. But what he said is these are my children. You know, I have uh. four wives and 20 kids and, you know, X number of grandkids. <laughs> and um, so, so that's really um, how, how wow. something started you know something uh small you know started but it, it was turning into something very big and um we next week you know because they wanted to meet next week the kids invited their friends and um so we were you know we quickly grew to like over 100 kids and we're trying to fit them in rooms in the house and wow. you know parts of the yard and um and tim was you know th this was our disconnect you know he was going back and forth to Sierra Leone, and I didn't even really have a chance to tell him everything that was happening, but um, he's an, a bit of an introvert, and he would get back to our house and um, and <laughs> want his peace and quiet. <laughs> yeah, I need a little peace and quiet, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, the, the problem was when I couldn't get to the toilet because there were yeah. so many kids in there. <laughs> that was the straw that broke camel's back. Oh, man, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's where I, I just had to explain to him what was going on, but it, it felt like a miracle. And it, mm -hmm. um, 1997 was the first year that, um, what was it, the 1040 movement prayer was happening. And so mm -hmm. there was actually prayer from all around the world focused on the gateway cities of which Conakry was one. Yeah. And I tell you, you could feel it, you know, you could just feel it in spite of the fact that it was so Muslim and there were just such openness and so many open doors, mm -hmm. but, um, I'll, I just fast forward a little bit and give you one worldview story, and then you know we can go over to to you. But the um, the um, as things grew, uh, a door. I really feel it was miraculous. Doors were opening, and we had met um, you know a Muslim headmistress that offered us her school, um, and she, for some reason, started telling other Muslim. Uh, headmasters about our program of teaching about God. <laughs> mm. um, and so more schools were opening. And um, what was happening, you know, it was understood that we were teaching the Bible from Genesis. And I kept wondering, you know, when we would get some pushback. And there, there was a little bit of pushback. You could see some parents yanking their kids out of these Bible clubs. Mm. Um, yeah, but um, on the whole, a lot of parents um, would come to visit, and I would expect them to want to shut us down, um, but they 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 said they wouldn't. And just just to back up, you know, when you teach from creation, you know, you really teach the creation of man. You know that you're made in God's image. You know that you're mm -hmm. fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, that you know the characteristics of God were meant to be in you. Um, mm -hmm. that you have a purpose and a destiny. And um, that's all we were teaching, which is really kind of a worldview. And so circling back to these parents that would visit us, um, most of them would say, you know, we know what you're doing and we know you're a Christian, but we are not going to stop you because we're seeing changes in our kids. Oh, and wow. Mm. Three, yeah, the three big changes were that um, the children were obeying them more. Now, that's a very big Muslim value. <laughs> mm -hmm. yes. But um, 
but uh, you know it, it comes i'm sure also out of adam and eve's disobedience and the consequences the children were getting along with their siblings better mm. um uh, better communication but the last one really surprised me is that the children were consistently doing better in school and the parents mm. would say you know when they started the club he was this rank when they you know now a few months later he's this and i kept thinking you know, how can that be? Because we're not teaching them English or, you know, any of the school subjects, you know, but I, I, re I really believe that that, you know, the self-worth, the valuing of themselves, of knowing that they have a purpose and a destiny and actually a God that watches over them. I, I think that I believe that made a difference in their schooling. And so mm -hmm. I didn't know the term worldview or mindset at that time, but the, I, I didn't know, you know, that when they understood who they they were what their identity was in, in Christ that changed their behavior and even their school performance. So, um, that's yeah, so powerful, I, I Terry. Yeah, I think you know, I, growing up in the West and in Christian homes like you did, Tim, you know, we take these ideas for granted. You know, we've just kind of always yeah. known them, or that you know, it's always part of our mental makeup. But then you run into yeah. people that don't have this. And you begin really? to see just how powerful these ideas are for changing yeah. not just lives, but whole communities, you know, these ideas mm -hmm. that come yes. from the Bible. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Really does. Yeah. But you mm -hmm. you didn't end up in the the reach, the CIC reach. Yeah. Okay. So so just to over the, those next ten years, I guess. Yeah, from well, maybe it was more yeah, anyway, over that next period of time before we ended up um, in development, um, these refugees that were helping me teach started going back to their countries of like Liberia and Sierra Leone and some went to Senegal, some went to Mali. And they all started, they understood in their hearts that like, hey, I can reach Muslim kids. You know, it's not impossible. Um, it can be done, you know, if it's done discreetly, done with the Old Testament, done, you know, by talking uh, with the parents and including them and not trying to do anything in secret. And, you know, this this can't be used in every Muslim country, but where we happen to be, um, it was on the 10th parallel of the 1040 window. So it was really right where Muslims were north, Christians were south, and the Muslims there are just much more open. And so um, it, it actually these these refugees would come back, go to their countries and they would, you know, write me at that time. Email was just starting, you know, and saying, wow, we're doing it here and it's working. You know, we're doing it over here. And, Mali and it's working and so um mm. it just started spreading mm. and um uh tim is the you know i i'm kind of more the person that's out there in the moment you know making things happen i do have a sense of structure and organization but uh tim was really the one that was that started saying hey you know we need to really this is starting to spread you know there are some finances needed in terms of uh just people traveling doing trainings and things like that and um and we started a 501c3 yeah, in 2002. Um, and, but, but from there, essentially over the next, um, let's say 10 years, um, the, the things spread to, at that, I think about 15 or 17 countries. Right now we're in 23, but- um, So this is an organization that still exists today. It is, yes. It's, it's called, uh, called Children in Christ um, in some of the heavier, you know, now that we're in a few of the more restricted areas, uh, the CIC becomes children of character. <laughs> gotcha. But, um, yeah. Terry, and, that's, um, that's a remarkable story that, you know, God yeah. started something with just a few kids and your faithfulness 
in this <laughs> kind yeah. of refugee setting there and then grew into, you know, hundreds of children in many countries and now an organization that spanned many years. Is there a place people can learn more about that organization? Is there a website? Yes. Um, it's it's um, children, the word children, then I and then C dot com. And wow, they can that's, they can that's remarkable. Yeah. 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 But it, yeah, it has been yeah, just amazing growth. And I'm, I'm so thankful. And, uh, you know, another lady, Jen Merriman, um, took over, I think, about eight years ago. Um, hmm. And Tim and I are still on the board. I, I came close to burnout, to tell you the truth, hmm. in 2000. 2013 and um i can, ima- I can imagine <laughs> honestly yeah, yeah yeah it's crazy you know sort of fundraising and managing the country well and it's not things, like you but... you got your own children you're trying to raise too and you, you tim's you know yes. got some massive business that he's trying to or ministry he's trying to run yeah. as well so yeah wow. yeah no it, it's fine balance i had very patient kids <laughs> so it, it's a it, it's really an incredible ministry that still it's about 200 25,000 children are, are meeting oh, under wow. trees yeah. uh, in 23 countries. Yeah. And and I in the last I looked, I think there were about 18,000 volunteers that keep the thing yeah. uh, running. Mm-hmm. Wow, so just a, incredible. A, that's just wow. super amazing thing to, have, to, to be a part of. Yeah, so you really have two very different stories. Do you do you want do you have time for another, or have you run out of time now? (laughs) Guys, this is so rich and so interesting. We are at um, we're just over an hour. We like to normally keep it around an hour. We are happy to continue. I think Tim and Sean, are you guys okay? Uh, What we would probably do just is break it into a couple of episodes, which you know, so it's no problem on our side. So, but I just want to. How are you guys doing? Do you want to continue? Because um, that, that would be fine. Okay. All right. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for listening. We did decide to break up this episode into two because the amazing stories and lessons kept on coming for more than an hour more. But I am so sorry to break this session off here because I'm sure, like me, you are deeply invested in these guys' stories and don't want them to end. But for the sake of time, we will have to wait until next week's episode for that. Over the last few weeks, a few of our listeners have shared that they enjoy our discussions on the power of biblical worldview and understand it on a personal level, but they really want to hear more stories about how and where we have seen it actually transform communities and nations. This is a very valid and important question, and I'm so glad you guys asked. On next week's episode with Tim and Terry Andrews, you will hear the answer to that question about how an understanding of the biblical worldview completely transformed their lives and the communities they served in. Join us next Tuesday and hear about boots-on-the-ground examples of how an application of the biblical worldview and its principles have the power to heal impoverished communities and bring freedom to minds in bondage to animism and fatalism. Grasping a biblical worldview will change your life and the lives of those around you and can even heal nations. If you have not heard about our flagship resource at the Disciple Nations Alliance, a training program that the Andrews have taken as well as over a million others around the world, we have recently compiled it into a simple-to-use free biblical worldview video training program called the Kingdomizer Training Program that is available on our website. To learn more about it, just visit this episode's landing page, which is linked down in the description below. Ideas Have Consequences is a podcast of the Disciple Nations Alliance. To learn more about our ministry, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, or on our website, which is disciplenations.org. 
Thanks again for joining us today, and I hope you have a great rest of your week.